HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit wholefoodsmarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Good afternoon, and welcome back to Eating Matters, where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting from Roberta's on Heritage Radio Network. So because I'm out of town this weekend, I'm pre-recording this episode, and today, March 8th, happens to be International Women's Day. Given this day's significance, it's only fitting that we're going to be featuring an example of a matriarchal society that's not only fascinating, but also an integral part of our ecosystem. That's right, we're going to talk about bees, including recent trends in declining populations, the devastating repercussions, and what you as a listener can do about it. Joining me on the line is Dr. Reese Halter. Dr. Reese is an earth doctor specializing in earth's life support systems. He's also an author, award-winning broadcaster, and distinguished conservation biologist. Dr. Reese, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Good. Um, okay, so uh, let's get let's get right into it. Um, we have been hearing um, about the declining bee population for some time now, but I really like I don't have a lot of context around this. So before we talk about why this is an issue, can you first describe the extent to which uh, the population is is decreasing? Yes, this is a global crisis. Uh, we may be inching towards the one trillion honeybee death rate mark. It's stunning, it's shocking, it's frightening, it's wrong, and at the end of the day, everybody I know, and probably you and all the listeners, we all got to eat. So the fate of the bees is inexorably linked to each and every one of us. What is, uh, why is that? So can you tell us a little bit about bees' role in the ecosystem? 
Yeah, B101, as it were. These <laughs> are we uh, nature's golden emissary. Uh, approximately 125 million years ago, bees were, as it were, selected to uh, be the chief pollinator of all the flowering plants. So we're still trying to figure out after a long time how many flowering plants there are. There's in excess of now, I'm now told 400,000 kinds of different flowering plants, of which the bees, 20,000 known species, and perhaps another 20,000 to be discovered, are responsible for 90, up to 90% of the pollination. Okay, so let's, let's just break down some of those numbers really quickly. There yep. are, um, it, there are, you said... Uh, hundreds of thousands of different kinds of flowering plant. What exactly is a flowering plant? <laughs> I'm assuming that's our food. Well, a, but... a flowering plant is 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 a newer evolved uh, a beast. Let's go back uh, a couple of hundred million, three hundred million years ago. There were uh, only the cone-bearing or the conifer trees. The conifers relied, you see, on the wind to move a male pollen over to a female stigma and to, uh, to, to uh, become fertilized, you see. The bees are enticed to pull into these new, new plants. They're called angiosperms. They're, they're the fleshy, fruit-bearing uh, plants like an apple, which is enclosed. The seeds are enclosed by a fleshy fruit. And the, the bees were enticed to pull into these flowers that contained uh, this sweet substance called nectar. Mm -hmm. They dehydrate that, mix it with a couple of enzymes and turn it into honey, their food. And they also inadvertently carry pollen because they're electrostatically charged. The hairs, they're hairy. Uh, from one flower to the next and brush up against the female uh, repro part, as well as collecting pollen uh, in their side baskets on their rear hinds to hind legs to take back to the hive because pollen is loaded with protein and protein, which they feed to the, their uh, the young, uh, builds big brains and strong autoimmune systems. Okay, so that's that's how it kind of works, right? <laughs> to use a, a professional term, um, in ter you know, so what bees are responsible for doing, um, and yep. they do this with with flowering plants which we eat. <laughs> I mean, yeah, what are yeah, some examples they, they of flowering us, plants? Uh, uh, my colleagues tell me plus or minus uh, 40% of everything on our dinner plates uh, and breakfast and lunch uh, are uh, courtesy of the bees. So they, they're a huge, huge... In America, in my uh, Incomparable Honeybee, my bee book, uh, in The Incomparable Honeybee and the Economics of Pollination, including cotton and the beef industry, as well as all the edibles we consume, 
I calculated that the honeybees alone, one species uh, out of 20,000, the Clydesdale in a way that we use all over planet Earth, mm-hmm. 1.7 trillion of them, honeybees at any one moment on Earth are alive feeding us. In America, they're responsible for $44 billion of commerce each year, cotton, beef, and all the edibles. Wow. As well as honey and beeswax, of course, right? Wow, yeah. Um, okay, so what you, you said that there are 20,000 species of bees. Let's kind of break this yeah. down because I don't know the difference between a honeybee or a carpenter bee or a um, bumblebee. So, right. so what are we talking about? Well, most of the bees are what we call solitary bee species. That means that the female goes about her uh, her existence quietly, solitary, by herself. Mm-hmm. She's impregnated by a male, obviously, and then she lays individual eggs, sometimes in tree crevices, sometimes in little uh, mud, uh, little structures on the earth, sometimes on branches, uh, wherever she could put safely an egg, mm-hmm. put a dollop of honey, and put a little bit of, uh, of pollen, plant pollen, and then seal it with the wax, because all bees make the wax from their abdomen, mm-hmm. and then she moves on. So she, she's a very quiet little gal. And by the way, there are at least in North America 4,400 different Solitary bees, and and then they the, then there are in North America our big old uh, large friends, the bumblebees, the indefatigable workers that starts before sun up and works till after sunrise. They um, they live in very small colonies of a couple hundred. Mm-hmm. They're an annual. They only live that one year. And uh, in Latin America, they can live uh, two years, and the colonies can be up to 2,000 bumblebees. They're, these are wonderful big bees that perform a, uh, a form of pollination, which is called a buzz pollination or sonification, where they, they spin, they do this wicked fast 360, and they, when they spin, they're electrostatically so charged that all the pollen goes gong, and they're one big puffball of pollen, right? They clean some of it off, they take some, mm-hmm. and then when they pull into the next flower, they inadvertently brush against the female repro part, and they, they uh, pass the pollen and, and fertilize. They're incredible. And then, of course, there are the honeybees that live in cities of a hun- as many as 100,000 bees. They're all female. Today is uh, both is, both uh, the honeybee uh, and World, uh, uh, Women's uh, Day, and and what a better, what a great tribute <laughs> to to women because yeah. the bees are are female driven. The oh. social bees, there's one queen, one female, and ninety nine percent of of the colony are. Female workers. So, are we still talking about solitary bees here? These are the the honey bees. No, those and- are the social bees. No, no, no. We went from the solitary to 
the the uh, which are most of the bees to the uh, bumblebees, which are uh, social okay. up to two hundred, and then the honeybee, which is the super bee of uh, in the cities of a hundred thousand bees. And all of these bees are responsible for pollinating our food. Absolutely, Ab- you know the we know now that the the solitary bees around the world. Do uh, uh, some uh, perform the lion's share of pollinating? Despite the the boxes, there's 2.7, 2.64 million uh, U.S. commercial hives. We move around America, all mm-hmm. around. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a minute. Sorry, bump them in the fields, but but uh, the 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 social bees, uh, the solitary bees, are very important for the food we eat. Um, okay, so what? Uh, let's actually um, talk a little bit about kind of the commercialization of um, beekeeping. So Stephanie Strom um, wrote a piece in the Times that was really, really interesting, and she talked about the declining um, population, the effects it's having on the industry. And um, I, I guess my first reaction was I thought it was funny because I never thought of bees being commercialized. <laughs> so can you? Well, can you? Yeah, it's a, it's a big business. As I say, the the end product, give or take a couple of million, is uh, is approximately forty four billion per annum, and the beekeeper is a pollinator. Right, they, mm-hmm. they, their mission is to put the box, uh, the hive, it's in a field mm-hmm. uh, or several boxes in the, the hives in the field to to facilitate pollination so that the farmer gets as much produce as they can get from their acre acreage of, of land what is the scope of demand for for these production these bee commercial bee production off the charts it's off the charts I mean I'll, 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 let, let me give you one specific example uh, last month and right now for maybe another week or so, 80% of the 2.64 million commercial U.S. hives are in California's Central Valley for the biggest almond orgy on planet Earth because the crop is a $3 billion crop, the nut crop. Mm-hmm. The, they, they cannot exist those almonds without these honeybees working. They, they work to pollinate 100% of the flowers. It's a really big deal. The hives are in demand. The price of hives is going up. And it's, it's a difficult business because, as you mentioned, uh, the bees earlier in America are facing uh, all kinds of trouble. Last year was the worst year over year was the worst bee death that uh, rate we've ever seen at 44.1% of all our commercial bees died. Wow. And what was, I mean, is that, that seems large to me, but in ter- like to give me a baseline, um, what is typical in a given year? It's huge. In a, in a given year, we can expect 12, 13 uh, percent mortality rate, death rate. And so this is three and a half times. And, yeah. and, and to, for the listeners to understand, 
it's not just that the uh, beekeeper goes and can get another box quickly. You've got to get your new queen and you've got to grow your hive. By the time your hive is grown to the numbers that are necessary to make this thing work, the, the crops have already come and gone. Well, so how long if you does that lose all take? your hives, yeah. how long does it's it take a disaster. To, how long does it take to grow a hive, typically? Typically, it, it, it weeks, and it could take six, seven, eight weeks. It, 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 it's huge. Uh, you could, they split hives, and they, there's there's all kinds of shortcuts. They're not starting with one queen, and 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 building up. But I mean, it, it stresses the system, so that the at the end of the day, the the, the beekeeper is is left with less. And with la- their their season to 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 make a keep is is short enough because obviously the bees aren't working during the late fall and all winter long uh, when the plants can't operate. So it's it's a very seasonal job and and it's uh, it's time dependent. What about in California though? I mean, I would imagine their their growing season is pretty much all year round. Oh, well, not all year round. I mean, um, certainly in, a, in a, a greenhouse, yeah, we can grow anything. But, you know, during the winter months, it's, it's, it's quiet. Um, no, uh, late November, December, uh, January, uh, it, it begins to kick up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, plant, the plants are, are planted, but as soon as they go in the earth, they're not flowering. Uh, yeah. So it, 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 it's a... Uh, yeah, it's it's an un, they're unsung heroes, and 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 uh, we've got some problems here. What um, I before we kind of I I move on for this uh, you know the commercial aspect of the industry. What it, has this always been happening where um, beekeepers kind of like bring their boxes all over um, to various fields throughout the country, um, like transport them. You know, or is this kind of something that was recently developed to deal with this problem? Well, bee- beekeeping, bee husbandry is not kind. Uh, it, it, they, we, we truck most of the 2.64 million hives are put on 18 wheelers, and they're moved north, or they, they overwinter near the almonds, and then from the California almonds disperse across the nation. The bees uh, evolve to eat honey. The beekeepers are trying to make a little extra cash on the side, so they're feeding, uh, in many cases, the bees corn syrup, and they have to mix it with uh, uh, some uh, protein and, and some other additives to strength keep their bees healthy. And there's introduced insects, there's uh, mites, there's introduced viruses and bacterias. And then, uh, if that isn't harsh enough, we have the climate in crisis with temperatures that are soaring and droughts. Uh, and then the ultimate, uh, these awful chemicals, the, the insecticide assault is off the chart. So, okay, so we just, so that is about, though, though what you just described is pretty much um, in line with how we treat our animals across the board, um, mm-hmm. more or less in this country, um, which is incredibly unfortunate. But was this, this system of like carting bees around the country, was that, did that always exist? Or, um, were, you know, was it more localized or was it, there not even really a need because we didn't have the negative effects of industrial agriculture? 
Yeah, I think I think a good a good point. I think that uh, the, the the game board significantly changed from the mid seventies on. Uh, I think as our population, there's 330 million people in our nation, mm-hmm. and there certainly wasn't a three billion dollar uh, a year almond industry in the seventies, and everything has taken off. So we've needed more bees. Uh, or we've needed to move the Bs from A to B to C to D uh, more than ever before. And, and so that's, that's a shame, uh, a reality, mm-hmm. but, uh, but also a hindrance to the bee health, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it seems so. Um, just to kind of give us a sense of scale, when we're talking about Hives and and the work that they can do. I know you mentioned um, earlier the the sort of various typical sizes of of hives depending on their species. But um, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm if I'm looking at like a jar of honey, you know, say say yeah. uh, a cup of honey, how many like bees does it take to make that honey? Well, with this, this I can tell you. If you look at a teaspoon of honey, it's uh, maybe twenty to twenty four grams. Mm-hmm. It's taken a, a dozen bees, a combined flying distance of 6,000 miles, their entire foraging lives, to produce that one teaspoon, which they would have visited well over a million flowers to do that. These are incredible animals. <laughs> what? And, 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 and let's make no mistake. Bees and their brains are easily on par with any animal species on planet Earth. They may only have a million neurons, which is the amount of neurons that one human retina contains. But pound for pound, those neurons do it as well as any animal. These animals can count. Well, they, they were. Recognize- yeah, there was the. Um, I, I saw the um, recent study published in Science, which talked about bees' cognitive flexibility and it explained that bumblebees can effectively be trained to use tools, which I. They also yeah, said not was. Not only that, after five minutes, they've, they've made. Uh, they've made. Efficiency, efficiency changes, and and they 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 carry on making using tools better than they were trained. These are animals that, uh, like people, they get depressed. Like people, they have thrill-seeking genes. Like people, they communicate. Only the honeybees communicate by dancing. Uh, like people, they enjoy a smorgasbord array of foods. Part of our problems, you see, are that when we put the honeybees into a monoculture plantation, after they do a bit of pollinating, mm-hmm. they go, hmm, wonder what's over there or over there, and they wander into the corn or they wander into the soy in America. And which are laced with these new uh, insecticides called neonicotinoids, a systemic poison, and they they die, right? Um, yeah, I mean I, that that, and I want to talk a little bit about that um, in just a second. But um, any, I, I was this seems pretty crazy. I had no idea how smart bees were. <laughs> Is there anything yeah. they can't do? <laughs> 
<laughs> honeybees, like people, we hope all of the listeners, all, honeybees vote a quorum <laughs> A quorum is 15. When we get 15 scout bees agreeing on where they're going to move the old queen, yeah, then they go and move her. Wow. Right? And they take half the hive, a big ball, black swarming ball. They really inside vote? In the center is the queen. Wow. How, that that seems... I, had, I never knew that. That seems crazy to me. And by the way, people don't even vote, so... Oh, I, I wish everybody did. Yeah, me too. It's, it's, our, it's a very important thing. Yes. I know. We're going to take a really quick commercial break and hear a word from our sponsors. But when we get back, we'll be discussing the reason why bee populations have been dwindling and some of the potential remedies, technological or otherwise, for preventing further decline. Stay tuned. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. And we're back on Eating Matters, where today we're speaking with Dr. Reese Halter about the diminishing bee population and the disastrous effects it will have. Let's talk about uh, the most obvious question, right, um, which you alluded to before, which is why? Like, why are these populations declining um, and what is responsible? Well, the, 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 the number one problem uh, is, is the, are these, this new generation of an insecticide uh, they're called neonicotinoids. They're a systemic poison which, uh, in most cases, the seeds are dunked. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, then uh, the, as the plant germinates and uh, it, it knows these poisons are there and it moves them in specialized cells called the vacuole until it pushes the poison in high doses in, in the pollen and the flower nectar. Now, both corn and mostly soy are, are wind-pollinated. They don't need the bees. They don't need pollinators. It's just that the bees are encountering corn and soy in the fields because there's so many acres of it, millions of acres of it. Mm -hmm. And um, if the story was to end there, it would be tragic. However, it does not just end there. When the bees encounter these poisons, they lose their minds and they shake to death, which is eerily identical to Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. So we have the dead bees. Then the poisons are dehissed as the the, uh, flowers on the corn and the soy uh, eventually dry up and fall off and they go into the soil. Work from Western Europe clearly shows that neonicotinoids in the soil have been killing the soil organisms and 
my colleagues, uh, my colleague Hank Tanakis, a toxicologist in Holland, mm -hmm. uh, has shown that when the soil organism numbers are low, then the songbirds and the meadow birds and all the birds that feed on the little critters in the soil, their populations crash. And then the goshawks that feed on the little songbirds and the meadow birds, their populations have crashed. This is, this is, these poisons are rippling through the ecosystem yeah. and they get into waterways and they hang around in waterways up to a decade. Uh, Christy Morrissey's uh, lab up at the University of Saskatchewan has shown that 80% of the fresh waterways in Western Canada that she looked at were contaminated with neonicotinoids that had run off from the uh, from the farmers' fields. This, this is a crisis of a of, a, of an epic, epic proportion. Um, now, what? Or neo, uh, I'm just going to call them neonics because uh, uh, yeah. that is a very long word. <laughs> yep. But um, are they different in any um, way than glyphosate? I mean, we talk a lot about glyphosate on the show, um, which right. is also very common in um, corn and soy. So, so what what is the difference, if anything? Well, oh yeah, no, no, this is this is a, the, the this is an insect insect killing poison. This isn't an herbicide, which is a plant killing poison. So, a glyphosate, for instance, Roundup, mm -hmm. causes the plant to grow to death. Right? It start its cells start dividing, and before it knows, and before it can allocate all the little organelles that make all our cells work perfectly, mm -hmm. the plants are, are dividing and reproducing without putting organelles in there, and they basically grow to death. And that, that prevents them that from being... terrible poison does. Yeah. The, the, these poisons are fashioned after uh, nicotine in the tobacco and, and in the tomato group, where they, they are uh, they're specific to the cell membrane, the plasma membrane, and they, they uh, molecularly, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. they, they wreck it. They wreck it. And, uh, and, and so what's happened there is that when these poisons were uh, first designed, they, they didn't realize that there would be an adverse effect on the bees. And the, the bees are sensitive, by the way, to parts per billion. Maybe three, four parts per billion is enough it's to poison yeah. the bees. How do they not know? <laughs> I mean, you know, how could they? How could they just like find this out? You know, in in the worst way possible, which is after you see a huge decline in the population over the years. Well, I, I guess you see, but, but this enormous decline, it was first recognized in. 2005 and six. So when the neonics came on the market, maybe eight years earlier, they started uh, a little and expanded and expanded, and they reached the Malcolm Gladwell tipping point. And after which, it, it's just really it's been awful. 
and what we do to the bees, we do to ourselves. And, and so yeah. we don't have the, the lawmakers on side. We finally, uh, uh, the EPA has uh, recognized that the, these poisons are, are shocking and deadly for the bees, but we still do not have the regulations to, to pull them off. So these. Uh, now by by the way, we, there's a thousand different neonicotinoids on in the marketplace around the world. This is a this is a an enormous business. Each year, just so the listeners uh, know, in just the insecticides or pesticides, whichever you prefer, there's five billion pounds being pushed into the biosphere every year. Maybe 45% of those are these neonics. This is a massive situation, deadly. Rachel Carson, one of my all-time heroes, is roiling. Mm-hmm. Because this, she she warned us of this sixty years ago, and evidently nobody nobody listened. So this, so these um, neonics seem pretty recent. I didn't realize how recent they they actually were. Um, yeah, they're the last twenty twenty some odd years, maybe twenty five. You know. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's let's talk a little bit about government regulation. This seems like. This seems like something that I would really hope the government would regulate. So where, first of all, who would theoretically be responsible for this? Um, uh, like, And would it be more, le- more at the f- state or the federal level? Well, both. Both. We, 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 we have some simpatico states. Uh, I, one comes to mind. Maryland has passed some strict uh, laws, parts of Oregon. Uh, we had uh, a bumblebee, uh, a lot of bumblebee death two, three years ago. So Oregon State, uh, Maryland, uh, and there are several other states that are are doing their best to to regulate. But but again, what does that look like at the state they, level? They they can regulate one, two, or three, or four. But but there there are many that are are on the marketplace right now. And the EPA is is also involved, and and they have to green light uh, the new chemicals that are being proposed. Some are green lighted, some aren't. It, it, this is a it, it, it is a huge problem at both state and federal levels, and of course the the um, the, the farmers are told that w- without these poisons that they will be susceptible to all kinds of different attacks. And, and the farmers are business people, and they're carrying big notes, and they're trying to feed their family and pay their mortgages. It's a very, very delicate situation, and, but we've got to be careful because we need the bees. So what, actually, I remember my question that I wanted to ask. Um, what companies are largely responsible for producing these types of chemicals? Is it, is it Monsanto, who you know, comes to mind when we think of glyphosate with Roundup, or, or is it one of the yeah, other well, but, but, let, 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 you know, Yes, but, 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 but Monsanto is no longer Monsanto. We have to, you know, Monsanto was swallowed by Bayer, mm-hmm. and Syngenta was swallowed by uh, a, a China Chem. 
and uh, and uh, Dow has been swallowed by DuPont. So they, they, all of the big companies and and Cargill has their their chemicals and you know modern farming mass farming is all dependent on chem so really for the listeners what uh, anybody could urge is a I would begin to grow your own food I'm just saying and b I'd be I would be supporting organics uh, anywhere and everywhere you can. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, 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 I we definitely want to, um, I want to hear more about kind of your advice for what everybody listening can do. Um, but in, right. I'm like, but, but in terms of regulations, um, so, so the EPA is responsible, the federal level, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and guess that this is not going to be a big priority for Pruitt. Who, of course, is the new agency head? <laughs> Are you mm-hmm, optimistic? Yeah. <laughs> um, what? So, what? What's pending at at the federal level now? Was there something that the former that the Obama oh, administration? Okay. Put? I, you know, they, I, all I don't want to go too far down the pathway because it, 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 it it's like oh no. All I all I will leave the the listeners with is. The former administration had nominated and green-lighted the Rusty Patch Bumblebee, the first bee to be listed on the endangered species list. And uh, day two of the current administration, everything was suspended. The NRDC and others uh, have lined up to sue and to try and get the rusty patch bumblebee listed officially. I don't know how many years in court this is going to take, but uh, I would say this. I would say with the dismantling of the Clean Water Act, Mm -hmm. you know, the stuff that makes up most of our body and Mm -hmm. goes in all our food, for instance, I would say we have a very big problem as a nation because if we don't have... Uh, laws to protect water, then we could become one big Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Well, as somebody from who's from Michigan, um, uh, that yeah, that we would not wish that um, for anybody. So, so you're saying one way to kind of fight the, the uh, to provide some protection for. Yep. Um, Bees in general is to get them on the endangered species list, um, and 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 then another thing to do uh, to push for the state level is to maybe, and I didn't realize this was regulated at the state level, but to you can, can you ban certain chemicals from being used in your state? Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, well, uh, no, I think it's a little, you know, I think it goes county by county, but, 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 but let, let, let's be more specific. When an animal is placed on the extinction list, on the endangered species list, it's one step away from extinction. Extinction means forever. That is a disaster, right? Yeah. The listeners, uh, I'm sure, are aware we're in the midst of the sixth great extinction right now, and it's being driven by human beings. And life around us is perishing at least a thousand times faster, in some cases, 10,000 times faster. So the only hope that we can all work toward is in our counties or in our municipalities or in our cities 
we are asking people to go to those local lawmakers and put petitions in to ban certain chemicals, to protect water, to, uh, to help keep uh, our, our ecosystems working. And also, one thing that is, is starting to catch on around the world is to seed uh, roadsides with a, a, a wonderful mix of wildflowers, right, that, that, that bloom at different times. Because, as I said earlier, bees are just like people. They like a smorgasbord of foods to eat. So if we can give them wildflowers, we're going to keep them healthy. And, uh, and for all of us, um, a, please, do not use chemicals in your yard because there are some neonics that you can still buy over-the-counter at gardening stores, which are sprayed, not the seed dunked, and urban uh, people inadvertently can put these poisons in their yard. We really don't want any poisons, and including Roundup. I think it's, yeah. Do people put Roundup on their plants at home? Oh, Roundup is used all over everywhere. I've seen it. Please, let, 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 let's not, let's leave these very powerful chemicals alone. Let, yeah. let them live on the shelf. Don't bring them home. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess always associate it with like big commercial use with them, um, industrial ag. But um, yeah, that's a good place to start. <laughs> Put Roundup on your, on your own, uh, on your own crops if you grow at home. Um, so it, like in terms of some other solutions um, to this problem. Um, I'm wondering if this is something we can turn to tech to look to help solve. Um, Amina Khan wrote a piece in uh, the LA Times a few weeks back, a few weeks back, a few weeks back about uh, scientists in Japan who are working on turning a remote controlled drone into a pollinator. Um, Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm saddened because all that suggests is that we don't need the bees, and that is absolutely utter, utter flummery. <laughs> and worse, that we can continue to add uh, uh, unbelievable toxic loadings to the biosphere and think that everything will be fine. Look, what we do to planet Earth with poisons in the air, in the soil, in the water we do to ourselves that is it's just it that that's not an option the option is to take care of our friends the bees because they give us our food Mm -hmm. it's coming into summer i encourage everyone to make a little bee water bath where take a bowl uh, a little bowl from the kitchen put a bunch of pebbles in it uh, a mound of pebbles Fill it up with water. Let some of the pebbles uh, 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 rise above the water so that the bees can perch on the, the stones and lap at the water. Because just like people, when it's hot and dry, bees need water, fresh water. Is this something that if we, um, you know, urban agriculture has been 
Um, we've been seeing more of it, and we certainly know its benefits that extend far beyond just providing food. I mean, certainly urban ag can't feed cities, but there are mirrored, you know, other benefits um, from it. And beekeeping is kind of something that I've seen started to take hold in the city. So my question is, can that have a meaningful impact on um, the, on countering the declining populations? And um, yes, and is, is this something that you can do in cities? Or I mean, where would you suggest going to well I, I, I would put a bee bath wherever uh, a bee water bath wherever you live in, in your yard and replenish the water not, not a lot of yards here <laughs> every day yeah. well maybe a little early in, in in parts back east in california it's a little warm but um uh, i i i would say the, the the backyard beekeeping is a great thing because the more people that become aware of the bees the better. Mm-hmm. People protect what they love. In order to love something, you got to get to know it. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you know bees, the, the raison d'etre for bees is not to sting a human. When a honeybee stings you, she dies. It's a last effort. Yeah. So these are animals that are pollinating and going about their daily uh, routine, and they uh, they don't want to have a human encounter. If you bother their hive or do something untoward them, they will defend themselves. And by the way, people and bees have another thing in common. Hmm. Bees love to sleep. <laughs> a bee likes to get an eight, a good eight-hour rest. Really? Like we're supposed to get an eight. Absolutely, they sleep. Huh. So... You know, if, if they don't get enough sleep and you and you bug them and bother their home, yeah. you can expect that you're going to get stung. I think the movie My Girl really did a lot of damage for uh, for our how we view bees in this country. <laughs> yeah, too bad. Uh, too and people bad. are scared of bees, though. I don't, I don't bees, know that though. you know that was the intent. I no. hope that it wasn't the intention. Of course not. But <laughs> bees are are the uns, are unsung heroes. And we got to protect them because we got to eat. And and the reality, on a global scale, is we're adding uh, at least a hundred million humans a year. We will kiss eight billion on or around 2023. And we also know from what's been happening in Australia with the heat that when it gets too hot. The plants, not only do they, most of them not flower, which means we're not getting food, mm-hmm. the, the bees' wax in the hive melts. Uh-oh. And all they can do all day long is water runs where they, they, in their pollen baskets on their hind legs, they fill up with water and, they, and in their, in their uh, honey crop, they will lap at water and they will throw it up on the wax and then uh, and then beat their wings to form what's called an evaporative cooler to try and prevent the wax from melting. And we've seen this and it's, it's, it's resulted in uh, a honey drought in Australia, which is a honey export company country and, and it, it's a real problem and a real concern. Right. Do we eat too much honey? Is that exacerbating the problem? 
Uh, well, you know, the, the honeybees give us 2.2 billion pounds of honey globally a year. In America, we, we create plus or minus 175, maybe 180 million pounds a year. We use over 300, 325 million pounds a year, which means that we have to import the honey. A lot of it comes from China, which isn't safe. Honey is used in breads, cakes, sauces, beverages. It's a backbone of many of our foods. So it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a difficult call. Uh, I would urge uh, all the listeners, uh, I, I love honey. Uh, I'm plant-based. I justify my, my use of honey because the nectar is actually just stored in a special pocket called the honey crop, which is not anywhere else in her body. It's not being processed. It's being dehydrated. The, uh, the sweet substance, uh, the water is, is taken uh, away, and a couple of enzymes are inserted, and it makes this unbelievable food substance. Uh, I would encourage you to go to your farmer's markets and support your local beekeeper and inquire, where, where have your bees been? Mm-hmm. And they will tell you nowhere near neonics because if they put them near the neonics, of course, the bees die. And beekeepers don't do that. They don't want that. And yeah. you're supporting your local farmer. Can you can you buy organic honey? You can, although it's uh, yeah, it's, it, it, that's an interesting play. The the there's much of the organic honey I've seen. Uh, comes from overseas, which got a USDA stamp as organic, but it's not from our country. I'm not sure exactly how all that goes down, but I do know that uh, the, the, the best deal is to uh, meet a local beekeeper. They're great people. Become a friend of theirs. Find out where they keep their bees and and buy honey at a local level, Michigan or at New Jersey or New York or California or Washington. There are beekeepers everywhere. Look mm-hmm. look for them on the web. Mm-hmm. They're good people. All right. Okay. So just to to end this um, this conversation on an optimistic note and sort of summarize yep. your action points for our listeners who really want to get involved in this issue. And I, of course, encourage everyone to do so. Um, let's yep. see. We talked about buying honey from your local farmer at your farmer's market, um, planting wildflowers uh, along highways and anywhere you can. Um, What else? Lobby your... I encourage people to plant uh, at least one fruit-bearing, fruit or nut-bearing tree in their yard uh, that requires bees, and it also will give you food (laughs) immediately, so there's a direct link there. I encourage people to use, uh, to put out a, a water a bath, a bowl with stones that poke up above the water so that the bees can drink. I encourage people not to use any chemicals in their yards, any chemicals. And I encourage people to plant in their yard uh, local of uh, plants, local flowers, anything that is local Native, to yeah. your area, you can find that on the web 
whatever county you live in, we'll have a, an array of, of local flowers because we, we need the native uh, bees, the carpenter bees, and all the, the solitary bees, by the way, many of them are so small, they almost look like a fast-moving fly, hmm. but they're way, way smaller. Those are the bees that we need. Uh, I've, I've made, and people make what we call these bee condos. You get a four by four post, you drill a bunch of different sized holes, maybe, uh, oh, maybe an inch in. And then you put a little hat, like a sunshade over it, maybe a piece of tin or a piece of uh, robust plastic, and you put it up on a fence post and it becomes a a condominium, as it were, for the the native uh, solitary bees to lay their eggs. So you create habitat and and buy organics and and grow your own get a raised bed, grow your own food. Uh, let thy food be thy medicine. Socrates said it a couple thousand years ago. You really are not only what you eat, but what your body can extract from your foods. You don't want chemicals on there. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. But Dr. Reese, I want to thank you so very much for coming on the show and enlightening us about the um, the issues and uh, around the declining bee population and more importantly, what everyone can do um, to prevent that moving forward. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you very much. <laughs> and please protect our planet. <laughs> yes. Thanks. Okay, with that, I'm going to wrap it up for today. Dr. Reese, thank you so much for coming on the show. Also, a big thanks to our sponsors for your generous support. Our show is produced with help from Taylor Lenzet, and show music is by Tim Archer. Thank you so much to our engineer, Vitor Hirsch. All episodes of Eating Matters are available on the Heritage Radio Network website or as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. Like, share, follow, and post to us on Facebook and find us on Twitter at Eat Matters HRN. I'm Jenna Liu, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.